Fighting Irish Hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time agents! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, a pleasant good afternoon, everyone, and we welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat here on 960 AM WSBT. Streaming live at WSBTradio.com, our free WSBT radio app, and we have the Twitch feed back and rolling today, so you can take a look at the studio. Darren Pritchett with you, eight minutes after five o'clock on this beautiful Monday, February the 26th of 2024. Don't you have a feeling it's going to be warmer on February 26th than it will be on April the 26th? We need to keep track of that. I have a feeling this is fool's gold right now, even though that rodent in Pennsylvania said spring is coming earlier. I'm not sold yet. I hope it's true. But let's see what happens on April the 26th when it's like 22 degrees. All right. Hope you had a terrific weekend. Thank you so much for joining me on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm kind of fully rested for the first time in a while when I go on a hockey trip. The number of things I need to do gets cut down at work and at home, and you get to sleep in a little bit, just relax. Actually, I got a lot of WSBT and Sports Beat work done just sitting in my hotel room. But I'm kind of rested after a couple of days in a hotel. Ready to roll this week. No Irish hockey this week. The end of the regular season for Big Ten hockey is this weekend. There are seven teams in the conference. This is Notre Dame's year to be idle the final week of the regular season. And losing two games at Michigan means the Irish will not play at the Compton again this year. We are on the road for the Big Ten tournament first round. That best of three starting on March the 8th, probably at Michigan. If Michigan sweeps Minnesota at Minnesota this weekend, the Irish would go to the Twin Cities. But more than likely, it'll be Notre Dame at Michigan. And the Irish have to win the Big Ten tournament to gain the automatic berth into the NCAA tournament or their season will end whenever they lose another game in the Big Ten tournament or in the first round two games. Okay, here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. My weekly conversation with the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Tyler Horka. He will join me at the bottom of this hour. We have our sports beat inside indiesports.com Twitter question of the day results from Friday. And today's question centers around the removal of Jack Collinsworth by NBC as their play-by-play man. Also coming up on the program today, we have the top five storylines of the weekend. What will the Bears do with Justin Fields? And our sports wagering segment, we going to Sizzler. Two hours to get this accomplished. Then we have Caveman Corner, an inside look at Mishawaka Athletics, live from Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill. Tonight from 7 to 8, the guest tonight will be Mishawaka baseball coach John Hammer and three of his seniors, and also Brian Miller, one of the hosts of the program, also Mishawaka softball coach, will be bringing along three seniors. That show again, 7 to 8 from Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill in Mishawaka. You can listen to it live here on WSBT Radio, or you can show up in person and have a little dinner and enjoy tonight's show. Our hat trick of opening topics is ready to go. We start with a newcomer to the Notre Dame football team. His name is Jordan Clark. He comes from Arizona State, now joining the Fighting Irish football team to be a part of the secondary. More than likely will be the team's nickelback this year. Could help out at the safety position. Jordan Clark's dad, former Pittsburgh Steeler defensive back Ryan Clark. If you watch... 
some of the NFL shows on ESPN. You will see and hear from Jordan's dad. Now you get to hear from Jordan himself. So here was Jordan Clark talking to the Irish media and what his dad's reaction was when he decided to come to the University of Notre Dame. Is super excited. He sent me pictures of his peewee ball team that was like Notre Dame themed. They had gold helmets and navy blue jerseys. Um, he was just geeked. It was like talking to a little kid about it, really. Um, so uh, whenever him and I came up here, we got a chance to visit and see everything. It was everything that we imagined it would be. And uh, pretty quickly, I knew this is, this is where I wanted to be. And now he probably is going to play a big role in the back end of the Fighting Irish defense in 2024 and here's Jordan Clark on his talks with head coach Marcus Freeman. Man, just sitting down and talking to him, I, I can kind of tell now, uh, being in college for some years when you're being BS'd um, and everything he said just held true. Um, my father and him already had a pretty good relationship, you know, they spent some time together. Um, so my dad kind of had already told me that he was a good man and getting to talk to him, you know, talking ball, uh, talking about family, you know, how much he cares about his family, how much he cares about us. Uh, that's, that's really all I needed to hear. And he's trying to put together a juggernaut, a real national championship caliber program here. It already is, and I just wanted to be a part of that. Brian Kelly was a tremendous football coach for the Irish. But the little things, the small little details that Marcus Freeman does, I call them small details. They're actually big deals. And that is just the relationship that the head coach builds with individuals who might transfer in, or high school recruits. Every time you hear a recruit or a player talk about Freeman, they talk glowingly. The relationship, getting the chance to talk to him. He's not a closer. He's a starter. He's there in middle relief, and he's there to close out the deal. And boy, it makes such a big difference. Again, just listen to the players they give you a good understanding of how heavily involved Marcus Freeman is in everything going on with Notre Dame football recruiting. Now at Arizona State, Jordan Clark was teammates with former Irish quarterback Drew Pine, who is now back on campus as a student. So, of course, when you're considering Notre Dame, you go to a guy who knows all about it in Drew Pine. Yeah, absolutely. Drew is, is one of my really good friends. You know, having him back here now with me has been really cool. He's like my South Bend tour guy. Um, yeah, he, he loves it here. And I think that whenever you speak to people about him here, they think highly of him as well. Um, and really all he told me is that if you're a guy of high character, you'll fit right in. You know, it's not necessarily how good of a player you are or anything like that. It's all about how you approach what you do. Uh, are you a professional and do you want to win? Um, and if you want to do those things, then this community, community will accept you with open arms. And uh, I feel that. It's good to hear Drew Pine speak highly of the program, the university, because, I mean, let's be honest, when he was the quarterback, if you're on social media, the fans were pretty hard on Drew Pine. And I've said it many times. He's a quarterback that is not a Power 5 starting quarterback. But Tommy Reese got the most out of him a couple of years ago here at Notre Dame, and knowing Drew took a lot of scrutiny, to hear him help Jordan Clark pick Notre Dame, lay out how things work, and offer some really good thoughts on Notre Dame and the people around here, that says a lot about Drew Pine. Yeah, everybody works. Um, there's, there's never a time that you'll come here, you won't go, or you'll go into Google and you won't see somebody doing something to make themselves better. Um, and for me, that's, that's amazing. That's what you want to see, and it pushes me to do that myself. Um, so... Never complacent, nobody on the team. You know, the guys from the top Nagurski winners to the guys that just got here with me. Uh, so just the, the constant strain to get better, I think, would be I'm um, taking from those guys for sure. All right, finally, here is Jordan Clark offering a couple of thoughts on what he is hoping to improve on during spring practice. Just my knowledge of the game, honestly, is a big reason why I came here. Coach Golden being an NFL guy. Um, something that I feel like can really take my game to the next level, CEO being as brilliant as he is. I really just going through spring, taking as much as I can from those guys, taking things from uh, guys like Xavier Watts and people who have excelled on this level, um, and just progressing as much as I can. So um, really everywhere I want to improve uh, nothing specific. From the desert to the dome, 
Jordan Clark arriving from Arizona State to be a key contributor on the defensive side of the football for the 2024 Fighting Irish. 5.17 is our time. Darren Pritchett with you. Our second topic tonight. I've been wanting to use this for several days, but we've just had quite a bit taking place late last week. Didn't have a show on Thursday. So this got pushed back a little bit, but I want to get to it. If you're on social media, you probably have heard this soundbite. But ESPN's first take, which is the top-rated television morning talk show, and it features Stephen A. Smith. And last week, he was on with Paul Feinbaum and Chris Russo. And they were talking about the 5-7 NCAA college football playoff format and Notre Dame can be no better than the five seed in this format. During that conversation, Stephen A., oh boy, decided to go down this road. You talk about you have no sympathy for Notre Dame. Why are they even relevant? Can somebody answer that question for me? The Notre Dame fighting Irish in college football has not won a championship since 1988 when they won in the Fiesta Bowl. I think it was against West Virginia. Ladies and gentlemen, if my math is correct, that's 36 years without a national championship. I know they went to a national championship game. I remember when Brian Kelly was coaching them and he took them to the national championship game against Alabama. What happened to that game, Paul? <laughs> what happened in that game? They got bum rushed so badly. We, we don't. They, they, they got annihilated, okay? I, I mean, Brian Kelly was probably planning his exit from Notre Dame at that moment, okay? <laughs> this, this, is, this is an annihilation that took place. They have not won a national championship game since 1980. They have not won a national title since 1988. That is 36 years. 36 years ago, Dougie, I graduated from high school, had an afro. Headline was two feet forward, okay? Are you ready for this, Dougie? You had just started with Mike Francesa on on the fan in New York City. That's how long ago that was. That last time, these brothers was relevant. And everybody walk around like Notre Dame, don't get me wrong, I root for the brother coaching them now. I'm not rooting against the Irish as the Fighting Irish. I've been there. It's a prestigious university. I get it. The Golics of the world and everybody love themselves from Notre Dame, and they should. Please don't get me wrong. But what the hell have they done? We're on national television. Georgia just missed out on the playoffs, and they were the reigning two-time defending national champions. We mentioned Notre Dame more than them. LSU got Brian Kelly. The man came from Notre Dame to LSU, okay? All right, LSU, they won national titles in recent memories. We saw what Joe Burrow. All right, and, and, and Jamal Chase and them brothers did. Okay, but we still mention Notre Dame more than that, even though that was before Brian Kelly got there. Everywhere you look, we're talking Notre Dame. You got them on national television. Has anybody questioned NBC as to why you gave them this television deal? What have they done? What have they done? I'm still waiting. I thought we were about, don't get me wrong, I understand you win more than you lose, and I get all of that in a winning record, but that's when we talk about the elite, the creme de la creme of college football, we talk Nick Saban. We talked Kirby Smart. We talked about Dabo when he had Deshaun Watson and lost in the national championship game and came back and won a national championship. Okay, we talk about that. We talk about Trevor Lawrence going up against LSU in a national championship game. We talk about a lot of things, but for some reason, Notre Dame, who hasn't won squat, manages to infiltrate the conversations. I need an explanation. Why? Stephen A., that's why I'm here. I'm here to give you an explanation. I'm here to help you out. Because in your words, your commentary is preposterous. Now, if your only definition of relevant is winning national championships, then okay. Go with that bit you had there. But I don't think we are talking about being relevant only as winning championships. Being relevant is many things, including your athletic director being able to put together a college football format that everybody approved 
that allows you to remain an independent. Jack Swarbrick basically put together this 12-team playoff format that allows Notre Dame to be, at best, the five seed. But they don't have to join a conference. You got to be pretty relevant in order for your AD to convince the rest of the college football world to go with this particular plan. That's a sign of being relevant. Yeah, they made the title game in 2012. They made the playoff in 18 and 20. I bet you USC would have loved to made the college football playoffs since it started in 2014, right? One of the great programs in college football history, USC. How many times have they made it? But USC still gets talked about despite zero trips to the playoff. So making either the title game or the playoffs three times in 12 years is pretty doggone good because the playoff has been dominated by Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. They've made it a ton, a majority of the time. So to make it twice, that's that's not bad. Have the Irish won? No. Can't argue. But you still have to be pretty doggone relevant to have your own TV contract. If you're not relevant, that's not happening. You look at the TV ratings. Notre Dame is right up there with the best of them. Despite, in Stephen A's world, they're not relevant. They are. They're in the conversation. And they are the most beautiful single person in the college football world right now. Every conference wants Notre Dame in their conference. If Notre Dame has to ditch being an independent, who is everybody going to call first? The old Fighting Irish have said it many times. The Big Ten is going to keep that 20th seat available for Notre Dame if they ever change their mind, if they ever have to go to a conference. Until then... They're not filling seat number 20 unless they can kick somebody out (laughs) and Notre Dame takes over that chair. So I appreciate the passion, but they are relevant. And the funny thing is they talk about how they're the most highest rated talk show. Why would the most highly rated talk show in television waste their time on a non-relevant Notre Dame football team? Why would they waste precious time of their show talking about what they think is an irrelevant football team. Stephen A., I hope that answers your question. Preposterous. But I guess it's like the Cowboys. You mentioned Notre Dame just to get people's dandruff up. All right, or get people to tune in. Finally, just want to mention the frantic freshman finish. After a less than enjoyable first half Saturday, Notre Dame down 29 points late in the first half at Syracuse. The Irish got to a thin three in the final moments, only to lose to the Orange 88-85. But the freshman backcourt almost brought them all the way back. Marcus Burton, who picked up his third ACC Rookie of the Week honor today, spearheaded the comeback along with fellow freshman Micah Shrewsbury. That's a pretty good glimpse of your backcourt the next three years. They went a combined 16 of 29 from the field, 8 of 15 from three, and scored 46 of the team's 85 points. Burton had 28 points on 10 of 20 shooting, 8 assists, 4 turnovers. Shrewsbury, all of his shots from three. He knocked down six of nine. He was lethal down the stretch, scoring 18. Pretty exciting backcourt for the future, and as Coach Shrewsbury continues to build that athletic three and some big guys that can offer you more consistent offense, it's only going to help those two. The Irish will host what could be a flat Wake Forest team tomorrow night. Wake Forest coming off that massive win court-storming victory over Duke over the weekend. Now they take on the Irish in what could be a sleepy game for Wake Forest. That game tomorrow night at 9 o'clock here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Pre-game coverage begins at 8.30. Those are our hat trick of opening topics for tonight. Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. 
Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash SolidGround for details. And by Bethel University Athletics, sign-ups for youth summer sport camps are underway. First State Bank lends strength to our communities by devoting ourselves to helping local businesses grow and prosper. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. And by golly, how about one more? The old Mishawaka Education Foundation granting a better future. Let's talk some Notre Dame football with Blue and Gold's Tyler Horka coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Now Leonard, down the sideline. Leonard's got great wheels. Riley Leonard inside the 20. On Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Leonard has to scramble and on that ankle just grits his teeth. Look at this run. Leonard gets the pass off. He's got Calhoun. Wow, no way. From Sports Radio 960 AM, WSPT. The side run for Leonard and... He's able to break a tackle and the first down and more. Leonard inside the 20, stiff arms a defender inside the 5 and into the end zone. It's a touchdown. Leonard keeps this time. It's like he has butter on his jersey. 27 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on 960 AM WSBT. Streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated. You can check out his work as well as the rest of the staff at blueandgold.com, covering Notre Dame football and all of Notre Dame athletics. And they're all revved up. They have their tape recorders and phones charged, ready to go for spring practice conversations and interviews, which will be starting in a very, very short time. Tyler, good to be with you. How are you today? I'm great. And now that you mentioned that we actually get to watch some football practice and talk to these guys about what they'll be doing this year, I'm uh, I'm even better. Pretty excited about that. <laughs> End of next week, I believe. That's the first time that we see these guys and get to talk to Marcus Freeman at the end of next week. There's a lot of buzz around this program. It'll be fun to see the guys buzzing around the practice field here at the University of Notre Dame. Tyler, I want to ask you about your continued series with Jack Sobel, focusing on all the games that Riley Leonard played as the starting quarterback at Duke. You guys are well into breaking down this film and offering thoughts on what Riley Leonard could mean to this fighting Irish offense. Now that you're well into this, what do you feel like you've learned about Riley Leonard? Yeah, four more games left. I just want to let everyone know that if you go to blueandgold.com right now, you can see, I guess that would be 17 of his 21 career starts that he had at Duke. We're going to finish. Uh, the plan is the last four starting tomorrow on Tuesday and then through the end of the week, Friday. So we'll be done with all of the games by the end of the week. Um, so, yeah, we pretty much learned everything that there is to know about this guy because the next four games are going to be marred by that injury Um that he's, or I guess, yep. three of the last four there, uh, the injury that he suffered against, ironically, Notre Dame, Howard Cross with the hit there late in that game. Uh, up until now, though, I see a guy that has a lot of talent, but someone who kind of needs to channel that talent a little better. And what I mean by that is he clearly has a really good arm, a nice arm, but he still misses some throws that leave you scratching your head. Uh, and then there's some, some decision-making issues that work against him. I see a guy that is a little over-reliant on his legs sometimes, um, and that doesn't allow him to get all the way through his reads. Um, just in the last game that I did, uh, and mind you, it was I think it was a 24-point win for Duke, so he played really well in it, but he didn't throw any touchdown passes, and there was one particular pass that would have been a touchdown pass had he just thrown the ball to a receiver, I believe running a corner route. Guy was wide open, and Leonard did not throw him the ball instead uh, I think he picked up four yards on the ground, and that's just not a good trade-off. I mean, you like a guy that can get you four yards every single time he runs the ball, and he is that. I'm not quite sure what he's averaging for his career, but, I mean, the dude turns 
two-yard losses into 12-yard gains pretty routinely. So that average starts stacking up. But you need to take those touchdowns that are there. So that was just one example of that. But there's smaller examples, too. Say it's a third and five, and he takes off and only gets two yards with his leg, whereas if he would have thrown to the guy that was open or had confidence in himself to make a you know sort of a leading pass, throw your receiver open type of pass attempt, maybe Duke picks up that first down. So a lot of potential, but there's definitely some uh, some ways that he could be better. I've had this conversation, Tyler, with a couple of Notre Dame football media members, and I, I just want to bring it up to you, and I know you can't speak for the Irish fan base, but you hear from them. It's been a really interesting offseason, even just with Twitter questions that I post involving Riley Leonard. There seems to be some hesitance from the fan base to be all in on what he might be able to do. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's just buyer beware after Sam Hartman came to Notre Dame and that fairy tale ending did not happen. Then I thought, well, maybe it's because when people think of quarterbacks, they think of throwing the football and throwing for over 3,000 yards. And Riley just isn't that type of guy. As you've listened and read to Irish fans, do you sense the same thing that there is a little buyer beware right now? It's not like they don't like Riley Leonard. It's just after last year, everyone's a little hesitant to be doing somersaults. Yeah, and that's none of his own doing, not no. his fault, but nope. that is a big reason why that it is the case, and I have sensed the same exact thing. Um, you know, it's like a fool me once, fool me twice type of deal. I think Notre Dame fans don't want to be fooled twice, uh, but it's one thing to just to because I've seen some people just flat out say, that he's not going to be any good because he can't throw the football or anything like that. I think those things are a little outlandish and I'm not going to compare him directly to Jaden Daniels who just won the Heisman trophy because no. he had a phenomenal year, but go back two years ago. And that's why I think we've said this before and um, definitely have said it at blueandgold.com. I wish Notre Dame had two years of Riley Leonard because I think 2025 yeah. could be just phenomenal for him but he's only got one year of eligibility left this is it um i think a two-year mike denbrock project at notre dame he, he would be phenomenal in that year so i don't think riley leonard is going to make heisman trophy type of jump that Jaden daniels made because daniels got those two years at lsu but daniels was still way better last year uh, in 2022 than he was as the guy at arizona state who was just kind of a raw very unfinished product I think Mike Denprock gets his hands on this guy for a year, can make him a lot better. I think you do see more of a passing game with Riley Leonard. Is he going to throw for 3,000 yards? I'm not sure. Um, but, but I think that he could throw for 2,500 and maybe still get those 1,000 rushing yards. Like, I think he can be a 3,500-yard uh, guy on offense. So if, you, if that's going to be the case, I think you sign up for that right away. So there definitely is some hesitancy to say that he's going to be – you know, the savior of this Notre Dame offense. And that's because of what happened last year a little bit. And because of what I just said in my first answer to your first question, he does get a little over-reliant on his legs. And I think that will come back to bite. If he can get that coached out of him or just kind of mature out of that on his own or combination of that, then I think he could very much be in line to have the best season of his college career in, in his last season. Blueandgold.com's Tyler Horka is my guest. What is your reaction to new offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock kind of giving us a little inside information that there may not be as much 12 and 13 personnel with multiple tight ends on the field this year compared to the past couple of years? Not saying it's not going to happen, but Tyler, it sure seems like we're going to see a lot more multi-wide receiver sets. Yeah, that was music to my ears. So I think I've described this before, but the way that they do these interview sessions at Notre Dame. Denbrock will speak to print-only reporters upstairs, and that's where I get him for about 15 to 20 minutes. And then he'll go downstairs and talk to the video side people for however long that takes. And I was with him the entire time upstairs, and we really didn't get into the you know exact personnel groupings and X's and O's like that. So when I went downstairs and someone asked him about that, I was actually taking photos of him because we needed those for blueandgold.com online. We didn't have anything of him since he was here last time, and, and those are a little outdated at this point. So I was taking photos, and I started listening to him talk about this uh, 11 personnel versus 12 and 13 and whatnot. And I mean, uh, I looked away from the camera. My ears perked up, and I was like, <laughs> oh, this is different. Uh, I think this guy means business. And I, 
and my takeaway was I think he knows what he's talking about because that's modern football. Like, and I used the example in one of the articles that I wrote over the weekend after this media availability was look at what, you know, Logan Diggs did at LSU with, um, with Den Brock leading the way. Like he, he ran for a really good average and they didn't run him a whole lot. Like he didn't run Audrey Estime amount of times. He didn't run 200 times, but when he did run it, he was successful. And I compare that to Dylan Johnson at Washington. That's a spread offense. Michael Penix was operating in the spread offense, which is rather what Riley Leonard is going to be operating in. And you have all these different wide receivers on the field at the same time. You look at Dylan Johnson's numbers and you will take those for a running back every single time. So I think what you're going to get is uh, a good balance still. And when Notre Dame decides to run the ball, it's not going to be up the gut uh, into a loaded box because things are going to be a little more spread out and that's going to be advantageous to Notre Dame. So, and I think what kind of encapsulates all this was, this was back when I was upstairs, Denbrock did say the way he's better as an offensive coordinator now is he's not as prone to literally, he said, word for word, banging my head against the wall and doing something for the sake of thinking that I have to do it. He's going to find ways to, to do the same things, but just do them a little differently. And I think that's what 11 personnel is going to be to Notre Dame, because just like he said, 11 personnel is a little bit different for a team that has been very known for lining up in 12 and 13 and, and even 14 at times. I don't think you're going to see as much 14, uh, four tight ends <laughs> on the field with Mike Denbrock. Hey, the good news is you can spread the field with multiple wide receivers and still run the football extremely well. The Irish have some really good blocking wide receivers. So just because you're going to lose some of that 12-13 personnel that we saw so much, they can still run the football very, very effectively, which might lead into my next question. Maybe, could be wrong, but with spring practice right around the corner, I'm wondering – if you had the opportunity to spend a few days at only one position group, you wanted to see position battle, or maybe you just wanted to see excellence at work, whatever the case may be, which position group are you going to spend time with? Darren, you've been doing this for a while, haven't you? Because what I would call that right there was a perfect segue. And you're, I had, you're going to say offensive line, I think. <laughs> uh, not, no? not quite. Okay. For those listening – for those listening at home, I had not told Darren the answer to this question. He literally told me 10 minutes ago, hey, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, for me, Darren, it's running back. Okay. Because I mentioned that we that Notre Dame did just lose Audric Estime, and I want to see if it's Jeremiah Love or Jadarian Price because I think that both of those guys have potential to be running back uh, one. And it's going to be interesting to me to see if Mike Denbrock goes by committee or he chooses one of those guys. Like I think a lot of people are interested – to see, you know, who kind of emerges there as the go-to guy or if there are two go-to guys, which I think is very possible. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously it, what matters just as much is who they're running behind. And Notre Dame just lost uh, effectively three of its starting offensive linemen from last season, including the two bookend tackles who are both going to hear their names called in the NFL draft. Joe Alt maybe going to hear his name called ahead of about 250 people or whatever it might be like he's going to go very early on so that that's going to be big time and in, in finding out who's going to re- replace those guys so yeah that's kind of two birds one stone there I, I hope they give us a lot of uh, 11 on 11 or you know scrimmage type scenarios that we're watching because I'll be looking at both the running backs and the offensive line you're probably going to get a lot of 13 personnel just for spite right <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm kidding I'm kidding hey what did you learn from the new linebacker coach, Max Bola, listening to him speak the other day. He got into some particulars about how the linebacking core might look this year. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say that he's so raw as a speaker, and I loved it. You could tell that this guy has only been a position coach for one year. And and like you said, he kind of, he kind of said whatever, and he wasn't afraid to hide anything because, look, it's, it's the end of February. You're not really – you know, showing your hand, so to speak. You know, will he get a little bit more buttoned up as we get closer to August? Probably. But right now he was he was just kind of spitballing. And basically what, he, what I took away from personnel in the linebacker core through what he was saying was Jack Kaiser's a, a mainstay. He's a staple. And you're probably going to see him play um, some middle linebacker. And obviously, J.D. Bertrand's not here. He's been doing that for the last three years pretty much without fail. And you're going to see – well, I guess the last two because – um, Drew White was still here a couple of years ago in 2021, but 
I mean, J.D. Bertrand played a lot of middle linebacker for Notre Dame the last couple of seasons. I think you see Jack Kaiser kind of fill in there. But I think they really like when Jack Kaiser, who's, you know, as Bulla was saying, Max Bulla, um, he was saying Kaiser's a little smaller, and we like using him as uh, a rover when we have three linebackers on the field and obviously as a weak side linebacker without Maris Leofau in the fold as well. So I think you're going to see him kind of rotate all over the place. He, he's kind of the Swiss Army knife of that group. He can play all the different positions. Some of the other guys are going to have to be a little pigeonholed. Jaden Osbury, for example, you're never going to see him play the middle of the field, but you're going to see him play a lot of rover and a lot of weak side. Drake Bowen's another guy who, who might be taking after Jack Kaiser and kind of playing all over the place. So what I'm interested there is, you know, when, when Notre Dame is in nickel, because more and more that is becoming this, if they don't, they're going to say that they're a four, three defense, but basically this is a four, two, five. You've got five defensive backs on the field pretty much all the time in this Notre Dame defense. Who are those two linebackers? Because they're in for, the entire year, it was J.D. Bertrand and it was Maris Leofau. I put a story up today at blueandgold.com. Bertrand played 80% of the snaps that Notre Dame had defensively last year. Leofau played 73. And then you drop down to, I think, Jalen Sneed was the third most used linebacker, and he played less than one-fourth of the snaps. So is he ready to play 70% of the snaps? Are you going to have to use a by-committee approach and maybe bump him up to 40 and 50 and, and Drake Bowen? Is sitting around that 40 to 50 mark as well. How much do you use Jaden Osbury? Um, outside of Jack Kaiser, it is a very inexperienced mm-hmm. linebackers group, and I'm very intrigued to see kind of who emerges and, and who takes the majority of these reps. How dynamic of a lacrosse player is wide receiver Jordan Faison? <laughs> He's awesome, man. I just I, I literally watched the entire game yesterday just to see if he was going to score. And he did. And he, he probably should have had two goals. He had a move that was even better than the spin move that he scored on, where he just kind of – the spin move was nice. And you may see him break out a spin move or two on the football field. But the move that he made before that, and he shot the ball just a little bit high, didn't end up scoring, was just like a little slip move, which is exactly what you see in the slot if you're lined up across from uh, a linebacker or obviously a nickel corner. You just kind of use your quickness and slip by him really quickly. He did that on the lacrosse field, which I guess we shouldn't be surprised by because he was one of the best lacrosse recruits in the country. But he's not just good on that field. He's good on the football field. The guy, the guy is just a complete athlete. And I, I think, I mean, he, he might be one of Notre Dame's best wide receivers this fall, which is, I don't, it says a lot about him. Um, I don't know how much it says about the other guys, but like they need to be looking to him and saying, okay, this guy just came in the fold and is already as good as us or better than us, like, let's use him as an example. We, we could be this good, too, because if everyone takes the Jordan Faison approach, and not everyone's going to be that fast overnight. He's got God-given talent, but, I mean, he works hard as well, and I, I think the Notre Dame wide receivers can kind of learn a thing or two from him, kind of honestly mold their games around his. Mm. We're talking Notre Dame football and everything right now with Tyler Horker from blueandgold.com. One more thing I want to get to, 23-4 and four Virginia Tech – is coming to Purcell Pavilion Thursday night to take on the Fighting Irish women's basketball team. And this is a squad playing as well as anybody in the country, not named South Carolina. And I think Elizabeth Kitley is their 6'6 All-American forward. The problem is, Tyler, with Notre Dame women's basketball, they just have some issues along the front line. How difficult is it going to be for Notre Dame to deal with a 6'6 All-American post player down low from Virginia Tech. Very, 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 very. And that's what I'm going to ask Neil Ivy when we get to talk to her before this game, which I believe will be on Wednesday. Just how do you stop her or how do you slow her down? Like, what can you do? And obviously, Neil's not going to give me all her trade secrets, but I don't know if she has enough trade secrets in the bag to stop Kitley because nobody's really done it all year. She's so consistent. I believe she's averaging around 23 points per game, 15 rebounds per game. I mean, she just she gets that pretty much every single night. And when she's not getting that, she's probably getting more than that. I believe they just knocked off North Carolina yesterday to clinch a share for, uh, of the ACC regular season title. And Kitley had 34 points. I mean, was just unstoppable in that game. And that's a North Carolina team that came in here to South Bend and beat Notre Dame uh, last month. So it, it's going to be a tough task. They're going to have to play their best game of the season. I mean, they're going to have to be better than they were at UConn in that game. And, and obviously they were phenomenal, but 
Kitley even has something that those Huskies don't have is just the, the, the dominant post presence that obviously this Notre Dame team is lacking right now as well. So uh, the matchup is just not favorable. Uh, you just want to, if you're Notre Dame in that game, go out, play as well as you can, keep it close. If somehow, you know, everything's going in your favor on that night, you're at home. Um, Virginia's Tech has won 10 basketball games in a row, and you can't, you can't win them all, and like you said, unless you're South Carolina. But even South Carolina got tripped up last year after going for an undefeated season. So in basketball, you do lose at some point. If you're Notre Dame, you just have to hope that the one time in the very, very few amount of times that Virginia Tech is going to lose this year uh, happens to be this Thursday night in South Bend. What should I expect in the coming days when I go to blueandgold.com? Yeah, like I said at the beginning of all this, the Riley Leonard series is going to finish this week. Uh, I believe the Notre Dame game, if you're interested in that and, and kind of looking back at how Riley did against Notre Dame, that'll be on Wednesday. And then obviously there's three other games to go on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. NFL Combine is this week. Notre Dame has, I believe, what is a record amount of players that they've sent? I'm, I'm not sure on that, but eight is twice as many as they sent last year. So a lot of interest there in Indianapolis. Jack Sobel's going to be there the entire time. I might uh, meet up with him down there for the weekend session on Friday and Saturday. So we're going to have you covered from Indy, going to have you covered on uh, the Riley Leonard stuff, like I was saying. And then uh, next week when you guys tune into blueandgold.com, you're going to be seeing some spring football preview stuff because, like I said, this is firing up here um, pretty early next month. So it, it is a – there's no off season at blueandgold.com, Darren. It's no. uh, it's a 365 day business for us, and we got everything covered there. Always enjoy the visit. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right, talk to you then. Thanks, Darren. Thank you so much. He is Tyler Horka. Check him out at blueandgold.com. The Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated. 5:54 is our time. Twitter question of the day results from Friday on the way, plus today's question centers around NBC removing Jack Collinsworth from the broadcast booth. We'll give you the exact question, how to vote on this particular Twitter question of the day in just a moment. Budweiser's weekday sports beat at 554, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Couple of minutes in front of the top of the hour. Darren Pritchett back with you on Friday from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I asked you this Sports Beat InsideIndieSports.com Twitter question of the day. Do you think it is fair that Notre Dame can't be one of the top four seeds? in a 12-team college football playoff because they will not be a conference champion. You probably know by now the best Notre Dame can be is the five seed in the 12-team playoff. So is it fair? I appreciate the results of this because as a Notre Dame fan, it would be very easy to say, this stinks, this is a raw deal. If we're number one, we should be number one. But understanding how all this was put together, Jack Swarbrick's role, 65% said, yes, it is fair that Notre Dame can't be one of the top four seeds in the 12-team college football playoff. 35% said, not fair. Personally, I think it's fair. You give up playing at a conference championship game to play in the first round. Some teams will have to do both. So you go through your regular season. You don't have to worry about being a conference champion. Just take care of your business. If Notre Dame most years goes 10-2, and two, they're probably going to be fine. Now, this year, the strength of schedule will be interesting to see if that affects their seeding. If, in fact, they go 10-2, and 11-1, whatever the case may be. Because the schedule, as of now, does not look the strongest. But as we've found out before... Sometimes the weakest schedule on paper ends up being much more difficult. Could be the case this year. Thank you for voting on Friday's Twitter question of the day. Now we move to today's question, which you can find on my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat. That's 960 Sportsbeat. 
Jack Collinsworth was removed by NBC as the play-by-play voice of Notre Dame football and replaced by a former Irish broadcaster, Dan Hicks. This decision will lead to your game experience being fill-in-the-blank. Will your game experience be more enjoyable? Will your game experience be no different? Or will your game experience be less enjoyable? If you pick that, please explain why. That's our Twitter X question of the day with Jack Collinsworth out, Dan Hicks in for NBC Notre Dame football. The decision will lead to your game experience being more enjoyable, no different, less enjoyable. We would love to get your opinions. People are already offering some thoughts and some very interesting thoughts right away on this announcement. Not that anybody disagrees with it, but I get the sense a lot of fans of Notre Dame wish that NBC would have taken a couple of more steps, or at least one more step in retooling their broadcast booth. And right now I can tell you there are at least a couple of votes for less enjoyable. Hmm. We'll see how it goes. Very interesting vote so far. Again, we love your vote. We'd love for you to reply to the post and offer your thoughts. You can find the question at 960-SPORTSPEED on Twitter X. An hour in the books, an hour to go. Coming up, the top five storylines of the weekend, the Bears, what will they do with Justin Fields, Twitter question of the day, all coming up on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And I want to mention as well, I will not be on Sports Beat tomorrow. I'm going to take the day off so I can watch my son play in the boys' basketball sectionals here in the state of Indiana. So I will not be on the show tomorrow. Back on Wednesday. And we'll talk to Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated about Notre Dame football recruiting. Normally on Tuesday, we'll shift that to Wednesday here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. It is 13 minutes after six o'clock second hour of sports beat for this Monday evening. A little bit of information from John Rothstein from CBS Sports, their lead college basketball analyst in terms of breaking news and studio work on the CBS Sports Network. Rothstein, in a Twitter X post earlier today, he wrote, Matt Painter, the Purdue head coach, tells him that this will be Zach Eady's final season with the Boilermakers. He will not use his COVID year in 24-25, right now, Edie averaging 23.7 points and 11.8 rebounds per game. And he is well on his way becoming the fifth player to win Player of the Year honors nationally in back-to-back years. It would be the first time someone has gone back-to-back with that honor since the great seven-footer of the Virginia Cavaliers, who won it three years in a row back in the early 80s, Ralph Sampson. Edie and the Boilermakers with a nice win at Michigan yesterday. They've got a two-and-a-half game lead over Illinois for first place in the Big Ten. And great position, of course, to win another Big Ten regular season title. And I know the Boilermakers have to go to Illinois at one point toward the end of the season, but... They pretty much have locked up the Big Ten title, the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament up in the Twin Cities this year, and they are well on their way to being one of the four number one seeds once again for the NCAA tournament. I know Houston is number one in the AP poll this week with UConn losing to Creighton, but you would have to imagine the first three number one seeds are locked up in some order, Houston, Connecticut, And Purdue, then we'll see how the rest of the top couple seeds 
work themselves out. We still have a lot of basketball left to play. Indiana, of course, is out of the running. They have to win the Big Ten tournament, which is not going to happen. And we're hoping to get a couple of teams from Indiana into the field of 68. Purdue is in, of course. Butler is on the fence right now. They're going to have to finish strong. Indiana State has a strong case out of the Missouri Valley Conference. There is a chance Indiana State and Drake both get to the tournament. One as an automatic, one as an at-large. Not as certainly there's an at-large, but the Valley has been so good through the years in the tournament. And both have put together really solid resumes this year. Indiana State stumbled a couple of times. Was it last week after getting ranked? So hopefully that does not prevent them from getting one of those at-large berths just in case they don't win Arch Madness down in St. Louis, home of the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. But Matt Painter tells John Rothstein, Zach Eady will not come back for another year. He will not use his COVID year in 2024 and 25, and there's a celebration of champagne and fireworks all across the Big Ten Conference with that news. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We now move to our My Five Question, which is today, what were the top five storylines of the weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. I'm extending the weekend into today because some really interesting NFL news. Because according to ESPN, this is going to be one of the all-time great running back free agent markets. The talent that is going to be out there in free agency is like a Pro Bowl. And part of that has to do with three teams reportedly are not going to franchise tag their starting running back. The report says that Josh Jacobs of the Las Vegas Raiders, Saquon Barkley of the New York Football Giants, and Tony Pollard of the Dallas Cowboys None of those three are going to be tagged by their teams. That is not to say they cannot work out a deal with their current teams, but that tells us there is a chance they could have a new address in the fall of 2024. Saquon Barkley, a dual threat, elite running back, had the ACL a couple of years ago, has bounced back, hard runner, speed, great pass catcher, just a great talent to have in the backfield. Josh Jacobs, really solid runner of the football between the tackles. Tony Pollard, I'm not as big on Tony as the other two, but you add those three to what could be a market that also is going to have in free agency. The human bulldozer, the Titans' Derrick Henry, the L.A. Chargers' Austin Eckler. You've got DeAndre Swift, the former Lion, now Eagle running back. A.J. Dillon of the Packers. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire of the Chiefs and J.K. Dobbins of Baltimore, just to name a few. If you need a running back and you got a little extra space in the salary cap, you can really improve your offense this offseason, which got me thinking. The Bears are going to have a ton of salary cap space. And if they draft a quarterback and trade Justin Fields, you're going to have a quarterback on a rookie contract. Whomever your quarterback is, if it's Justin Fields, if it's Caleb Williams, Drake May, pick your favorite young quarterback. How nice would it be to have Saquon Barkley standing next to that quarterback. The read option, the ability for that young quarterback to flip the football into the flat to a guy like Saquon Barkley who can take a pass out into the flat and turn it into a 20, 25, 30-plus yard play, that's exciting. I mean, you have Khalil Herbert, average 4.6 yards per carry, Okay. 
Dante Foreman. Let's don't forget Justin Fields was the leading ball carrier. No surprise for the Bears again this year. But adding a guy like Barkley with his diversity, I really like the sound of that. I, he could just do so many different things for this football team. A very versatile player coming out of the backfield. So just a thought. I mean, if there's one team that can add on a higher price running back, even though running backs are being devalued today, you want to make that Bears team better, adding a guy like Barkley, boy, that would, to me, make a big big difference and we'll see what happens at the quarterback position four another storyline from the weekend number four is Notre Dame hockey did not get the job done in Ann Arbor and they will not play in front of the home fans again this season well the Irish are out of contention for Big Ten tournament first round home ice because the Irish lost a pair of games to number 17 Michigan at Yost Friday and Saturday. Friday was a rough one. Michigan won 4-0. Their first goal, a face-off win and a shot and a goal. Then they added a shorthanded goal. And then Michigan with the number one power play efficiency squad in the country. They scored two power play goals to put away the Fighting Irish 4-0. Then on Saturday, the Irish scored first early in the game. Freshman Danny Nelson, a power play goal to put the Irish up 1-0. Michigan would tie it later in the first, and it stayed that way until inside of three minutes to go in the third period when a transfer from Boston College, defenseman Marshall Warren, who had scored one time all year, Got the puck at the top of the right circle and blistered it by Ryan Bissell for what turned out to be the game-winning goal, and Michigan won 2-1. So zero points for the Irish. Michigan jumps Notre Dame in the Big Ten standings, and the Irish are now locked in as the number five seed in the Big Ten tournament. The Irish will be on the road starting March 8th in game one of the best-of-three first-round series. And where they will play will be decided by this weekend series, Michigan at Minnesota. The Gophers lead Michigan by three points in the Big Ten standings. If Michigan sweeps Minnesota, Notre Dame would go to Minnesota in a 4-5 matchup. Pretty much anything less, it'll be a 4-5 matchup, Notre Dame at Michigan. So I would fully expect the Irish to go Right back to Ann Arbor. Danny Nelson, who scored on Saturday, got dinged up in the game on Saturday. Fingers crossed he'll be able to play in about a week and a half when the Irish start their postseason run. And Notre Dame is two games under 500 overall and has to win the Big Ten tournament to get to the NCAA tournament. They need the automatic berth. No chance for an at-large bid. So the Irish will have to win four games on the road in the Big Ten Tournament to make the NCAA Tournament. Worth noting, so far this year, the Irish have won only two road games. So it seems like a pretty big task. But as they say in the business, it's why you play the game. We'll see what happens on the ice next week. And by the way, there are seven teams in the Big Ten. So you have an odd number of teams. One team always has to sit out the final regular season weekend. It is Notre Dame's turn to be idle for the final week of the regular season and also the week before the Big Ten Tournament. So an idle weekend for the Fighting Irish. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. My number three storyline of the weekend centers around Major League Baseball and the Chicago Cubs and a terrific job by Jed Hoyer. He stayed patient. He waited. He did not bid against himself on Cody Bellinger. The Cubs and Cody Bellinger agreed on a three-year deal worth $80 million. It is worth noting that Bellinger has an opt-out after each of the first two years of his contract. Bellinger will make $20 million in 2024. If he opts back in, 
He'll get $20 million in 2025. And if he opts in after that season, the 2026 campaign, he will make $30 million. Why is that opt-out significant? This is why I believe it's significant. If he has a year that is similar or better than what he had in 2023 with his agent being the powerhouse Scott Boris, he's going to say, rip up the contract, I'm opting out. Again, could return to the Cubs with a new deal, but he'll head right back to free agency. I think there is a little buyer beware after years of struggling in L.A., he had a big year in Chicago. Nobody wanted to give him five, six, seven, eight years, not knowing if he's going to be able to match those numbers again. From a Cubs standpoint, the only negative is this. If Cody Bellinger, his offense retreats in 2024, or it goes back to what we saw his last couple of years in L.A., He'll opt in, and the Chicago Cubs will be forced to give him the $20 million in 25 and the $30 million likely in 26. So there's not an opt-out for the Cubs. If Bellinger, this isn't going to happen. I'm just giving you a hypothetical. If he hits 180 with a 275 on base, they cannot opt out. The Cubs cannot. They're locked in. It's just whether the player will stay locked in or opt out. If he has a bad year, (laughs) he'll be like, yeah, I'll take that year. But if he has a pretty good season, you would have to imagine you go through the same process again in the 2024 offseason. But Hoyer did a great job. He didn't blink. Like I said, he did not bid against himself. Scott Boris, Mr. Super Agent, Is it really worth having him as an agent when at the end of the day he gets you three for 80 on February 25th? I love what the Cubs did. They got their guy at their price. They did not let the Boris propaganda get into their head, wanting to talk to the owner and all those things. Hoyer deserves a lot of credit. Have the Cubs spent as much as Cub fans would want this offseason? No. Could they do more? Absolutely. But this is a terrific pickup, and I love three years for 80. I think that is very fair for the Chicago Cubs, and Bellinger gets the two opt-outs. So have another good year. Maybe you hit the major jackpot next offseason. But Hoyer deserves a lot of credit. Didn't blink. Did not let Boris get into his head. He got his guy at his price. Nice job by the Chicago Cubs front office. Number two. All right, number two is Notre Dame basketball Saturday against Syracuse. The first half was nothing to write home about. How many of you turned off that Irish-Syracuse game at some point in the first half or at halftime? Nothing to be ashamed of. (laughs) A lot of people did. I stuck with it. I was in my hotel room in Ann Arbor. Just taking notes on the game. Nothing went right in the first half. Syracuse shot the ball extremely well. Marcus Burton picked up a couple of fouls early. Irish down 29 in the closing moments of the first half. But they came almost all the way back. They got to within three, but just could not complete the comeback. Orange won 88-85 with the two freshman guards were fantastic for the Irish. Penn High School's Marcus Burton leading the charge with 28 points on 10 of 20 shooting with eight assists. Micah Shrewsbury's son was locked in once again. 18 points for Shrewsbury on six of nine shooting from the three-point line. Terrific stuff. Kind of disappointing. You lose that game because you played so off the chart well in the second half and shot it well, but the first half, they just dug themselves too big of a hole. So Burton and Shrewsbury, the freshman, combined for 46 of the 85 points and almost brought the Irish back to a win at the old Carrier Dome. Now the Irish will take on 
Wake Forest, who is flying high right now after beating Duke at home over the weekend. Notre Dame hosting Wake Forest tomorrow night at 9 o'clock right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Pre-game coverage will begin at 8.30. Number one. All right, my number one storyline of the weekend was the court storming involving Wake Forest and Duke. Wake Forest picked up a massive home win over the Dukies Saturday, 83-79. The fans rushed the court in Winston-Salem. And Kyle Filipowski, the seven-footer from Duke, suffered first reported as an ankle injury, now apparently a knee injury, when fans ran into him during the court storming. John Shire, the head coach of Duke, said, quote, when are we going to ban court storming? When are we going to ban that? How many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted right in their face? It's a dangerous thing, end quote. Filipowski said after the game, quote, I absolutely feel like it was personal, intentional for sure. There's no reason where they see a big guy like me trying to work my way up the court and then they can just work around me, end quote. Court storming has been something that conferences have tried to get in front of, handing out fines for fans that rush the field in football or basketball games. That's the great thing about hockey. <laughs> We're fully enclosed with boards and plexiglass and net. You're not getting out on the ice unless you do some major climbing. But, yeah, it is a major problem. I'm not a big fan. Fans are supposed to stay in their seats. Players are supposed to stay on the court. If we live that way, we're going to avoid these type of situations. I get the excitement of college sports and the students supporting their basketball team. It was a massive win for Wake Forest. It is a shame it happened. Hopefully, Filipowski is okay. And I think we also have to do a better job as conferences, as programs, as universities, to put in place a plan that gives you a chance. It just didn't seem like Wake Forest was prepared for this. I'm sure they had a plan. But knowing Duke was coming to town, and if you win, I think we all knew what was going to happen because this is the type of win that probably got them into the NCAA tournament. So there had to be that belief, hey, this could happen. What are we going to do? Hopefully we can all learn from this. We had the Caitlin Clark situation at Ohio State when they rushed the floor at Value City Arena. She got knocked down, allegedly. Hopefully we can have better planning because if the storming is going to happen and it's going to continue despite the threat of fines to the programs or the universities involved, just got to be more prepared. How do we get the players and coaches from the other team out of the way, out of harm's way when these things happen. Those are the top five storylines of the weekend. 634 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 